You're listening to The Dealmaker's Edge with A.Y. Strauss, diving deep into stories behind commercial real estate leaders. Today, we're joined by the one and only John Thomas, who's the president and CEO of the public company Physicians Realty Trust, which he really helped lead to some tremendous growth with a wonderful culture. After starting his career as a tax lawyer, he really built an incredible track record and business overseeing a large portfolio of the best in class real estate for the medical community. John, really excited you're on here today. And I know our listeners will really enjoy hearing about your journey. And to that end, maybe you can just share a few minute biographical sketch, you know, how you got started and early stages of your career. Yeah, Aaron, and, and thanks for having me today. So I grew up in a small town in Alabama and got to college, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in life. And one day I was kind of one of the uh, kind of Alex B. Keatons of, of my day. If, if your listeners know who that is, he's, he's always looking, interested in the stock market and, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal and things like that. So my, my dad got me doing that, you know, when I was eight or nine years old, gave me some stock in a small town bank that he, he worked at and, and was always fascinated by, you know, Wall Street and what goes on there. So as I started thinking about my career and what I might be interested in doing, I looked at the Fortune 500 list of CEOs one day and realized that, you know, the vast majority in those days were JDs by background, lawyers by background. It's kind of before the MBA craze. So I went to, went to law school and thought, how do I get to Wall Street from law school? And, and thought I kind of good with numbers, had an accounting degree and became a tax lawyer. So a lot of fun from here to there. And then a long journey from there to here. A long journey from Alabama to New York City. You were at Millbank, correct? So that's a very prestigious firm. Yeah, I'm not sure how I got in. Um, you know, particularly with this accent, there's uh, there's always a bias against our, our Southern accent, but <laughs> seemed to go over well with the, the girls in New York, I guess. But um, in any event, I, I made it uh, made it there and, and loved my time there. The hiring partner that hired me and then I went to work for us said, you know, you're, you're starting in the major league. You, you skipped a ball and double a ball, you know, cause of that New York, uh, wall street bias, but uh, it was a great experience and, you know, owe a lot to the, the partners and others that I worked there. And then you went to Sunshine after, which I guess now is Denton's right. You became a partner there. Yeah, that's right. Met a, another non-New Yorker, got married, moved to the Midwest and uh, felt like, you know, it was a great law firm that I went to, but I was, I was missing the sophistication of the, the New York work. And Sonnenstein was, was looking to expand in, in those days. They were Chicago-based, had New York office, LA office, you know, London office, but they were looking to expand into to more markets. And so I was fortunate enough to get connected with them. And the partner that hired me there uh, does work for us today and really one of my mentors in uh, tax law in particular, but great firm and, and a great experience there. And a lot of major real estate investors had earlier careers in, in tax law, I would say. Yeah. And I, I guess from there, yeah, how do you make the jump? How do you make the transition over to the business side? And obviously where you're at now is, is a whole nother level, but maybe talk about that transition when you started to break on the business side? I loved practicing law. I loved the sophisticated, you know, tax work and structuring. But the um, in those days, some of the work I had done at Millbank during the during the early recession, the 1990 recession, bankruptcy workouts, real estate developments gone bad and things like that, um, you know, kind of led to some experience that in the mid 90s, there was mostly, I mean, there were very few for-profit hospitals in the United States. And so there was a little company in Dallas, Texas with some private equity that was, you know, out trying to start a for-profit hospital company. The guy who started that company is now a senator from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> But he realized he needed to buy hospitals to really build this company. And he was only going to have taxis and hospitals that, he, that were successful that he could really you know, try to buy. And not a lot of people knew how you sell a tax exempt organization to a taxable you know, new company. And um, again, some of that early experience I had in the early 90s kind of 
help guide that that process. So our firm had a busy practice selling taxis and hospitals or representing taxis and hospitals that were selling to Columbia, which became HCA, which is you know now the largest for-profit hospital company. But that experience led to just doing more and more work with more and more taxis and hospital organizations and. You know, one day, one of them, uh, I'd, I'd worked about 120 hours that week, and uh, one of them called and said, are you interested in, you know, coming in-house? We need to, you know, bring a, a general councilman in-house. And, you know, talked it over my my family and thought it'd be, a, you know, a great opportunity to kind of go beyond the law and, and go beyond, you know, just tax law and, and started, a, you know, a whole new, you know, transition into to healthcare executive leadership, if you will. Terrific. And that was Baylor, right? That was uh... that was the Sisters of Mercy Health System in St. Louis. And then after a couple of years there, um, Baylor recruited me to move to, to Dallas and we had some family connections. And so the Baylor Healthcare System, some, you know, wonderful organization, very entrepreneurial. And then again, just there had an opportunity just to do more and more, again, executive leadership as much as, you know, being the lawyer, you know, as part of the executive team. And and Baylor, in those days, that was the George W. Bush years as president. And um, a lot of the Baylor board members were friends of the Bush family. And so we didn't really have a government relations leader at, at that time. And they asked me to take that on. And so it's easy to get into government relations when the you know you kind of open access to the White House. And so I, I, I spent a lot of time you know working and met um, then Secretary of Health, uh, Tommy Thompson, um, you know, working on health care policy issues and Tommy's the chairman of the board of our company. <laughs> so he and I have been co- connected at the hip since 2002. Again, great experience. That's great. And you've testified for the house on a lot of topics related to your field as well. So yeah, really got that governmental mix in as well. A lot of real estate people can't claim to that. Yeah. A lot of uh, some interesting experience. We Baylor was always, again, as an, as an entrepreneurial organization was always kind of bucking at the general trends of, uh, of hospitals and in some cases, healthcare policy, Tommy and I worked hard on medical liability reform, kind of create what we believe and still believe is a more fair system for compensating, you know, victims of, of malpractice and, and bad actors, but at the same time, you know, not bankrupting the healthcare system. And in those days in Texas, I mean, we were facing hundreds of millions of dollars of liability that was really bankrupting the system. The, you know, when we started the tort reform, medical liability reform efforts, there was 60 counties in Texas that wouldn't deliver a baby. No doctor in those counties would deliver a baby. And wow. It's really about access to healthcare and creating a balanced system. So you, you still have access to healthcare, but you also have fair compensation for, for victims. And um, today, every county in Texas has access to an obstetrician. And it was because of those reform efforts we put in place in 2003. So that kind of experience testifying in Congress, uh, you know, first time was a little scary. The second time was, you know, was, was interesting. The third time, you know, <laughs> old hat and, uh, you know, Congressman tried to pull a surprise on me. And unfortunately, the surprise backfired. <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind, of, kind of a funny story I won't tell on the air. But I guess that exposure between obviously understanding the tax law and then learning the business inside and yeah. out and then the governmental experience and the testifying for Congress and all that. I mean, it all those pieces led together to build you into the full package to be CEO of a public company, really managing a massive portfolio and doing deals at the highest level. So let's talk about the transition. The company where it is today, obviously, it grew massively in the last decade. Um, it's really been exponential. It's not been like 10% a year. I mean, it's been wild almost, the amount of growth. Maybe you can talk about those early years, You know how, how the company grew, what type of systems or culture you tried to imbue in leadership to build the type of organization to do the 
the massive work you're doing today, you know, those investments you make in the early part of building the business, that only today, many years now, you're really reaping those returns. That, that I think would be very telling for a lot of people building their companies today. Yeah, so just a little bit of background to that is I got a call from my headhunter uh, one day and said, uh, you know, we'd like you to consider coming to work for this real estate investment trust, you know, based in Toledo, Ohio, and it's called Healthcare REIT. I really didn't know who he was talking about or why he was calling me. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't a real estate lawyer. I wasn't, you know, I kind of managed or was involved in real estate deals as part of the you know, my job is general counsel and executive at Baylor. But I said, you got to be calling the wrong John Thomas. And he, he kind of read the, my bio back to me and, and said, no, you're, you're the one that the CEO wants to talk to. And it was really, it was really kind of a very important point. Uh, again, this led to kind of success through today, which was the CEO wants somebody who understands uh, healthcare, healthcare policy, you know, taxes and hospitals, nonprofit hospitals. Cause even today, despite my story about HCA, you know, nonprofit hospitals or, or nonprofit organizations still own the vast majority of hospitals and medical buildings in the country. He said, we, you know, the real estate part's easy. It's understanding the business that goes on inside the building that really makes it valuable. And um, so that, that CEO's guy named George Chabon, again, still a mentor today, but he convinced me to come to Toledo and go to work for him and run the medical office division of a much bigger REIT that does senior housing and skilled nursing. Really one of the um, original REITs in the country, you know, after the REIT legislation passed in the 60s. And um, 2013 had an opportunity to start a REIT that did nothing but um, investing in medical office real estate. So we started with um, 18 buildings that had been accumulated in a little private investment fund. The guy who built that fund or created that, that kind of investment fund called and, and it was kind of like the call about, you know, calling John Thomas to go to a REIT and with no experience, he, he, he called and said, you know, everybody in the REIT, in the medical office world knows you. And, and uh, he goes, I'm 70 years old. I can't IPO a company, but we'd like to do an IPO and, and have you come run it and uh, help us through the process. And I'm like, this is the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like something you should jump on, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's like, you know, like, this is a dumb idea, but, but out of respect for him, he's got any John Sweet, another guy that I owe a tremendous amount to. I went and met with the investment bankers that he was talking to. And, you know, they convinced me that, you know, it was kind of a good time in the market to, to make that work. So we, you know, went through the registration process with the SEC, went through the uh, hell week of, of IPO roadshow and, and came out the back of it, raised $135 million in the IPO, had a, a list of assets we wanted to go buy, um, you know, with those dollars. At the end of last year, we, we clipped just over $6 billion. So it's we're recording this just before our ninth anniversary on July the 19th. And, and it's been a, been a good, fabulous run. Yeah, that's a crazy run. I mean, from that early stage and in nine years, um, that really is a crazy run. Um, maybe talk about those leaps and bounds that were taken, because obviously yeah. I know you're picking up large portfolios and I know we talked a lot about COVID and, and your asset class is just absolutely darling, you know, where it sits. And to a further point you just made as well, that CEO is very smart who found somebody who knew how to oversee the business in the building. Somebody told me one time that all these buildings have no value whatsoever. It's only the people inside them doing yeah. things give them that value. So you really right. had that expertise in the business. So you were the perfect person and it seemed to have worked out real well. So maybe those early years, yeah. you know, from 100 million, six billion is a big jump. You know, when you were really growing like crazy, you obviously had to oversee a culture, you had to hire people. 
you were yeah. sort of building the parachute as you're jumping. Uh, maybe describe some of that heyday a little bit, how you got to where you are. Yeah, since, again, all these things kind of build on top of each other. You know, you didn't ring the bell that, that day, but we were on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, see our, you know, see our stock trade for the first time and patting ourselves on the back and, again, exhausted from because you know, it's right at the end of the roadshow. But we looked around at each other. You know, we had $135 million, you know, kind of coming in minus the banker fees, things like that. But, wow, we're... We're a one employee. I was I was technically the only employee that day. <laughs> so, you didn't even need other people. Why did you bother? No, and exactly. <laughs> so, the original founder and and, the, and his protege that still works for this is still our leader uh, today. Um, and it was just really kind of the three of us. But we looked around at each other and said, you know, what do we do now? You know, first thing we did was to hire an executive assistant who, in <laughs> very very much critically uh, part of the success story, um, and still with us. Thing thankfully. You know, it's odd. You, you can't get a corporate American Express card, even though you have $135 million in the bank, because we had no history. We had no, we had nothing, right? <laughs> we just had a, Public we had a company can't get a credit card. That, yeah, we had a piece of paper that said we were a company, you know, a corporation and a piece of paper that said we had a bank account and we had $135 million in it, but American Express wouldn't give us a credit card. We solved that problem. But before I was a CEO, even though I was an EVP and led a division of a company, you know, I always hated the word culture. You read all these books around culture and mission and go, oh, that's good. But, you know, that doesn't pay the bills. Uh, you know, we were sitting on top of a lot of money, not a big company, but a lot of money. And we really started thinking about culture that day. And I did and started realizing how important culture is. And it's been critically part of our success. You know, what we pitched to investors, how we were going to be different is the relationships that I had, the relationships that John Sweet had, the relationships that Governor Thompson, who became chairman of our board, had across the healthcare industry. And we weren't going to just wait on brokers to bring us buildings. We were going to go knock on doors of doctors and health system executives that we knew. And these are friends, right? And you're trying to do business with friends. And at the same time, you you want to deliver what you tell them you're going to do. And so we we built an organization, very family oriented, but, you know, one that, you know, really buys into relationships. We eventually captured our vision and core values in an acronym called CARE. And CARE stands for Communicate and Collaborate, um, Act with Integrity. Uh, R is very important to us, you know, respect the relationship. And then E is execute consistently. And the acronym CARE, C-A-R-E, it's a nice healthcare word, but, you know, those words mean everything to us and all the decisions we make, you know, about everything we do. And it really helped us go out to doctors and hospitals who own the buildings we want to own that we wanted to buy. And we wanted at least, we wanted them to pay us rent forever <laughs> to, to be in those buildings. And the very first building we bought, you know, came that way. And frankly, the last building we bought uh, came that way. And we have 300 buildings today. So it's, it's about a culture and an organization where we're all kind of rowing together. And sometimes if some, you know, if somebody starts rowing in the wrong direction or, or paddling too hard or paddling too soft, you know, we have to revert back to what's really our, our focus and our vision and our, and our future. And that's a huge part of the success of the organization. I completely agree. If you invest in those relationships, you can acquire $6 billion of real, of, of real yeah. estate in nine years and do w- way more. I mean, I know you're still on a great growth trajectory and you have a lot more right. in the tank to do. And People are just going to be transactional, trying to squeeze everything out of something here and now. Everyone sees those people coming and they don't last. And the people who have that integrity that you project and that wonderful culture and that 
professionalism. You're living proof of that, how that's a great way to expand a business. Um, and that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, we, we really believe that. You know, I think one of the most important parts of my job is, is still managing those relationships, but it's passing on those relationships. It's getting others involved in transitioning those relationships, having, helping them understand how to build relationships um, with people. And, you know, we never wanted to build a portfolio to sell. We wanted to build a company that's going to be here 100 years from now. And we're a dividend paying stock. So, you know, a lot of people who buy our stock are retirees who really rely on that dividend, uh, you know, every quarter to, to live. And, and our health system partners rely on us to take care of the building so that they can take care of patients. You know, we're for profit. We want to make as much money as we can, but we really are a mission driven organization. And by managing those assets at a top notch level, you enable the medical community to do the jobs they need to do to save people and help the community. So it really is a wonderful win, win, win for everybody. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the mental aspect. I mean, you got a public organization, you got a large organization, a lot of real estate. You're exceptional at what you do. You build great relationships, but just day to day, a lot of people are looking to you. And how do you juggle it all? I mean, maybe for somebody who's listening to this, who's really starting to grow and they're very, very focused on their career as you have been, but they're also trying to spend time with family. How do you just sort of mentally get through that intense battle every day of, of juggling it all and how do you keep your head on straight every day? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. This is an audio, not a visual, so you can't see the gray hairs that I have that I didn't have 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't have a simple answer, but I, I do think um, we spend a lot of time trying to, in, in the organization, you know, kind of understand and appreciate other people. You know, when it comes to stress, you know, until Last year, I'd rarely been admit to even having stress or anxiety. And of course, you have tons, right? And I have tons. And it's not easy because I think of our organization as 100. We have about 110 families. You know, we don't have 110 employees. We have 110 families that are represented. And then again, back to all the families that go into our 300 buildings. And so I think a lot about that every day. And uh, to your point, it's a, it's stressful. It creates a lot of stress. I don't sleep much, never have, um, <laughs> which is a bad thing. I don't have the best work-life balance in the world. I'm, I'm learning as the next generation doesn't want to have the work-life imbalance that I have. And, you know, kind of my generation has had. And I lean on my wife and my family, you know, really hard. I, I don't exercise as much as I should, but I, I like to run a marathon a year. So that kind of keeps me focused on, you know, something other than, than just work. I'm a learner. I really like the Clifton Strengths resources. If you ever if, if looked at that book and the resources around that and taking that test, it's incredibly accurate. And I think it, you know, kind of gives you feedback about who you are and, and then, and how to manage that. It's one of the things about Clifton Strengths, the theme thesis of the book is, you know, people manage other people for their weaknesses. And, you know, what you really should do is manage to their strengths, help them understand where their weaknesses are, but don't focus on the weakness as much as focusing on the strengths. And, and one of my strengths is titled a learner. I'm, I'm kind of, I like to learn about anything and everything. That's a, a way that I, I kind of pass on uh, some of the stress. So meeting new people like the two of us met, uh, you know, at an, or at an organization that I'm still not sure how I got connected to, but I really enjoy the people in that organization and, you know, meeting people like you, that those are, those are my stress relievers. Wonderful. Well said, what a deep management insight to lead towards people's strengths. I love it. And it's, it's obvious, but I guess people don't always do that. Um, first of all, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really, really want to thank you again for your time. It's been, it's been outstanding and your story is outstanding. Any other questions that you think would encapsulate some of the, the career highlights, anything else you think we should be chatting about? 
you know, I, I, I don't think so. I think uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I really love talking about Physicians Realty Trust. We named it Physicians Realty because that's who we think our customer is, the physician, and more importantly, the patients that the physicians are serving. Again, one of the unique things about our organization is we really work hard to structure transactions in a win-win way. You, you mentioned that before. We really do. That's, that's back to respecting the relationship. You know, I'm very focused on the succession planning and the future of the organization. I'm not going to be around forever and don't want to be the, the leader forever. I want to pass on to the next generation, if you will. And so that's a big part of my day-to-day thinking. And I wouldn't say stress, but what I am focused on at this point kind of going forward as we focus on the future, that that's really my primary focus. John, it's been an amazing conversation. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm sure people listening to this will take away amazing lessons. And again, just really want to thank you. And I guess we'll conclude here and just really appreciate your time again today. Well, I appreciate it, Aaron. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining the Dealmaker's Edge. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating so more people can follow the conversation.